Your perspective is everything. Your perspective can either be one or two things, your power, your prison. What is going on, everyone? My name is Emily Abadi, and you are listening to episode 148 of Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I sit down with inspiring individuals to talk about big wins, tough moments, and everything in between. On the show, you can expect vulnerability, motivation, and candid discussions with everyone from top athletes and CEOs to aspiring entrepreneurs on what it really takes to follow your passions. My mission is simple to inspire you to be your best self, move with intention, and have some fun along the way. Today, I am chatting with Trent Shelton. He's a motivational speaker and former NFL player. In today's episode, Trent fills me in on what it was really like to chase after the dream he had since he was young of playing football professionally. After his athletic career ended prematurely and he lost one of his closest college friends to suicide, he knew he had to make a pivot and take his faith into his own hands. Trent talks to me about growing his business from the ground up and the early days recording two-minute inspirational video segments daily, posting them to social media using the hashtag rehab time. The messages, which were hard-hitting but always uplifting, started resonating with millions of people around the globe. And in the years that followed, his social following exploded. Since then, he founded the Rehab Time organization, a nonprofit with a mission to serve a worldwide community by empowering and demonstrating that change starts within. He's also now a father of three, and today he talks to me about the lessons that fatherhood has brought him. We also talk about understanding the true beauty of our own worth, how we can better protect our own peace, and the importance of vulnerability and how to get more comfortable being your authentic self, both online and IRL. Before we get into it today, I want to take a moment to thank my sponsor at Beam. Beam is a Boston-based CBD company that is making waves in the wellness industry by offering products that combine THC-free CBD with other high-quality ingredients. Whether you are sore or stressed, CBD can be key for recovery and self-care. You guys know me, I live an active lifestyle and to keep up with my ever evolving training schedule, I have been leaning into their Boost Topical, which helps to boost athletic recovery, ease inflammation and soothe sore muscles. You have got to get in on the Beam game today. Head on over to beamtlc.com. That is B-E-A-M-T-L-C.com. And use the promo code HURDLE for 15% off any product today. Again, that is beamtlc.com. B-E-A-M-T-L-C.com. Use the code HURDLE at checkout for 15% off today. I'm really excited this week. On Tuesday night, the 23rd, I am hosting the Hurdle Book Club at 8 p.m. We are going to be reading Alexi Pappas' book, 
gravy. Spoiler alert, I don't do this often, but Alexi is coming to a hurdle feed near you ASAP. So stay tuned for her episode. If you can make the book club and want to join in for some good conversation, head on over to the show notes. The link to register is in there. Also make sure you're staying in the loop with hurdle on social at hurdle podcast. And I'm over at Emily Abadi. And if you have yet to do so, subscribe to the weekly hurdle newsletter over there. I'm offering up everything from content picks of the week, stuff that's really resonating with me to some of my go-to gear and favorites that are in my regular rotation at the minute and just really loving connecting with the hurdle community in a new way. Link to sign up in the show notes. With that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I'm sitting down with Trent Shelton. He's a former NFL wide receiver turned influential speaker, author. How are you doing, Trent? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing quite well. So before we really get into this, two things. The first thing, I do want to let you know that my thoughts and prayers are with you and your family. I know that you have been uh, going through some hard stuff with your mother right now. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Yeah, it's pretty tough. But uh, we definitely feel the prayers um, from so many people. And um, I'm grateful for that. So thank you. Of course. And the second thing is, I'm just going to bring this into the mix. The, the one time that you and I have crossed paths, so we were having dinner at the meatball shop. And when we were sitting there, a conversation came up that you were thinking that maybe at some point or another, within the next few years, you could run a marathon. <laughs> <laughs> Where are we on that? Where are we on that? So Quick, so yeah, so I, I definitely, so I put it like this. So last year I was going to do a half and I've done a half before and I was going to do another half in Fort Worth and I got really, really sick in February. So I think it was COVID without me knowing it at the time, really, really sick. So I couldn't do it. So I ran a 10K and I was like, you know, I'm just going to crush the 10K. So I ran a fast time for me. And so like, I fell in love with the 10K. So I'm like, I want to like beat my time again. So if I do a marathon, it has to be New York City. And that's what I'm going to do. Anyway. <laughs> Fair, fair. You are known to your more than 15 million social followers as this influential speaker, but that didn't just happen overnight. So I want to dial it back. I know you were raised in Fort Worth. Talk to me about what life was like growing up for you. Yeah, so so I lived most of my life in Fort Worth, um, like seventh grade. Before then, I was in... Um, New Orleans, our Kenner area. Well, really, it was the same thing, New Orleans. And uh, I stayed there. I was there from like one to like 12. And so uh, two older brothers, uh, mom and dad both in the house. And then so I just had competitive brothers. And so like I was the youngest. So I always tell people like I give them the credit for me being just a good athlete because I always had to compete against them. My middle brother is four years older and then my oldest brother is, is seven years older. So they always like they didn't give me no slack. But we were a close family, still are. So it was pretty cool, man. We did uh, did a lot together and still do a lot. So it was a great environment uh, growing up in. And I always tell people this, too. This is just a side note. Like, I lived across the street from a Saints player at the time. And so it, and my uncle, uh, he, he just well, he hasn't retired. They actually got fired from the Chargers. But he's been coaching for 30 years in the NFL. And so I was blessed enough to be able to be around that. And that really, like, helped me see that was possible. Like, cause growing up, you know, you have all these dreams and you think like, okay, that's a great dream, but I don't really think it's achievable. But then when I saw, you know, his name is Gene Atkins, his son Gino plays now. So I used to babysit Gino, it's funny. But uh, I saw like, oh, 
this dude is actually a human being. Like he just, he works out, he runs. So it was a cool experience for me because it showed me that it was very tangible to make it to the NFL. I just had that dream come true. What's the like percentage that makes it in the NFL? It's like, it's less than a percent. It's like zero, zero, zero. It's like point zero, zero, zero. Like, <laughs> And I know the percentage because every teacher told me that percentage, you know I mean? Just people, you know, you hear it a lot. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, you know, but you just hear it a lot. And so I always said I was going to be that less than 1%. So growing up, you definitely had aspirations to play in the NFL. Talk to me about playing in college at Baylor. Yeah. So uh, Baylor was everything. Uh, you know, it was, we, we struggled at the time, but I think we were a big piece of turning Baylor around. You know, Baylor's pretty, I mean, we had a bad season last year, but changed the coaches and, and COVID and all that stuff. But uh, it's really been a powerhouse in the Big 12. And, um, you know, playing there, it, it was tough because we struggled a lot. But we were just on the cusp of actually getting better. So it taught me a lot about, you know, determination. It taught me a lot about, you know, when things aren't going right, still finding a way and focusing on winning. And uh, just the atmosphere. I mean, the coaches, I mean, lifelong friends, brotherhood, still talk to those guys today. And um, that really helped me, you know, just for success, not on the field, but also just in life. Because I feel like the adversity was set up against us. And so it's taught me how to face adversity, you know, more than anything. Football in college was great. And you really felt like you were like, all right, we're on this upward trajectory. Like, this is the move. Everything's kind of going toward that sub 1% situation. And then what happens? Yeah. So, you know, I I was all Big 12 my senior year. And, you know, my uncle, who I was talking about earlier, he was kind of my my insight. You know, he was at with the Falcons at the time. Or he, I think he just went to the Vikings. He was just like, hey, you know, when I was with the Falcons, we had you like fourth, fifth round pick. You know, so, you know, you probably get drafted. And so I was like holding on to that. I was like, yes, like I'm gonna get drafted. I didn't get an invite to the combine. And I was kind of hurt by that. But I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna crush it at my pro day. Had a good pro day, and I just thought I was going to get drafted. Um, that didn't happen. And so my dreams were crushed. You know, you're like, <laughs> it's like, it's funny now I can laugh about it, but it wasn't funny then. Like, I was like watching the TV and like, I'm having to pretend like I'm good. Like, my mom was like, Are you okay? Like, it's fifth round, sixth round, seventh round. I'm like, I'm, I'm good and inside because it's crazy with sports. Like, we determine our, our worth by our performance. So, for me, I was like, I'm not feeling like I'm enough. I'm like, dang, I'm not enough. All this work, and I didn't get drafted. So end up going to undrafted free agent, high priority, which means like people wanted to draft you, but they didn't. So after the draft, my phone was ringing off the hook. I got some counsel from my uncle. He was like, man, go to Indianapolis. He's like, I know Coach Dungy, and he's going to give you a fair shake. So I went to Indy um, in 2007, the year that he won the Super Bowl. I mean, I can imagine making that decision, just going to Indianapolis after things didn't go as you had hoped. Did you feel like you were taking a big risk or did you feel like in your gut, this is definitely it. This is going to pan out. Like, where were you in the optimism spectrum? It was, I was kind of in the middle, like, you know, just from the fact of like me getting a fair shake, like my hair, cause so there was other teams. I'm not going to say that like, I want, like they were offering me more money. Right. And I was like, I want to go there. Like I want that signing bonus. Cause they, they still give signing bonus to free agents. Um, and I was like, I want to go there. My uncle was like, telling you, don't do it. He was like, go here. He's like, they want to give you a fair shake. And so that kind of gave me the confidence that the ball was in my court. And that's all I wanted. I wanted to come to a situation where the ball was in my court. Looking back, it might not have been the best idea. I don't like to talk about this. I want to use that as a blame mechanism. But we had two draft picks in front of me. So we had a first rounder and we had a fifth rounder. And, you know, it's business. You know, I, I can play the best football ever, but you're going to give those guys 
more of a shot because you invested, you know, millions of dollars in these in these guys with by signing by signing bonuses. So, um, you know, but it went great. I mean, in my preseason, I believe I led the NFL um, at least to the fourth game with yards as a rookie. And so, I mean, it went great. And I thought that, you know, Indianapolis was going to be the spot for me for sure. And then you proceeded to bop around from one to two to three cities. So in that bop, in going from team to team, what did you start to learn about your own resiliency? Because I can't imagine that that was easy for you. Yeah, looking back, you know, during, during the storm, I didn't really realize anything. Like I was just depressed and hurt. But looking back, you know, I always say this, you know, strength, Strength isn't always shown in being strong. It shows in how you respond, you know, while being weak in those moments. So now I look back, I'm like, man, I had a lot of emotional resilience because, you know, going from city to city, not knowing practice squad, not knowing that if like I've had situations where I'll go to practice and then after practice, I will be cut. Like they're like, hey, you know, come in here as I'm walking off the field. And so it's so much pressure to be like, dang, if I drop this ball, like I could be going home. And so it was very, very hard. I mean, Different teammates, new city, new environments, not knowing if you're going to be cut the next day or not, even if everything goes right. And I had a guy that I played with, Crefonzo Thorpe, and he told me this, and I'll never forget. He said, bro, he's like, I just want to tell you this to let the pressure off of you because he was a high draft pick with the Florida State. He's like, I've seen it. He said, I've seen guys play perfect football, especially in your position, play perfect football and still get cut. And I've seen people play imperfect football and still make it. So that took the pressure off of me because I knew, yes, the ball's in my court for how I show up, but ultimately, you know, they're going to make decisions, you know, based upon what I can't control anyway. So it was tough. So when it finally gets to the point when you're like, I'm out, like talk to me about what happens in the days after this is finally done. I made that was a seed in my mind, probably 2008 uh, after I left the Seahawks offseason. Um, and that's when I made the decision to start rehab time. So I was still playing ball, but at that time I was like, man, you know what? It's rehab time. I remember sitting in my room at my parents' house, like depressed, crying. And I was just complaining to God, like, man, like, like, this is it. You know, this is my life. It's over. It's done. Like this sucks. And I just had a common spirit over me. And I just felt like this is just the beginning, you know? And I just like, man, like, so I focused on what I can control. And that's what I'm going to share with people. Like so many times, we focus on the things we can't control. But at that moment, I said, what can I control? And so I said, I can control mind, body, and soul. I can control picking up books because I wasn't a reader. I can control, like, really taking care of my health and my body because I really wasn't doing that to the level I should have been doing it. And I can control my soul. I can control, you know, yoga, prayer, meditation, all these things. And so it's funny because I felt like the magnet that was pulling me to that is I knew I had one more year to prove myself. NFL, you use that three years, right? Not for long. That's what it stands for. So I knew I had one more workout and I knew if I ran a four, three, I knew I would get signed. Like I just knew it. Cause that's how a lot of this works. It's like, if you fast, it opens up the door. So I just prided myself on running a four, three. I made a long story short. I ran a four, three, uh, go to Washington. I get cut again, same thing, but I was in a better place because I felt like there was more to my life. Um, it was 2000 and 11, I was now playing arena football, which is terrible. And I can say that because arena's not around no more. But I was playing. I was miserable. I hated it. It was somewhat fun, but I just hated it. So I was like, this is what, what, what I don't want. This, I don't want this for my life. And what happened was I was supposed to go to New Orleans to report to the New Orleans Voodoo uh, on Friday. Um, my, one of my close friends, and 
I could talk about the story for hours, so I'll be short. One of my close friends, his dad's a pastor in Dallas, and he was like, hey, I want you to come speak at our church. And I was like, it, it, it was crazy to me because I'm not a speaker, I'm introvert. Like, why you want me to speak at your church? And he was like, man, I've had conversations with you. And my brothers, my sisters, my dad, like, I know a gift when I see it. So I come speak. And so I called my coach. It was on that Friday. I called my coach and he he told me, I was like, hey, can I come Saturday? He's like, yeah, you can come Saturday, blah, blah, blah. So I knew I didn't want to go to New Orleans. I knew I didn't. But I was like, what else is there to Trent Shelton without football? So I speak on the stage and make a long story short. That's when I made the decision to say I'm done with sports. So it was that moment of me walking into my biggest sphere of public speaking, speaking for five minutes. That's it. Five minutes. And um, and making that decision right after that. That's crazy, though. I mean, you had done no previous speaking. You said you had started rehab time. So before we keep going into this, why don't we establish what it is that rehab time is? Yeah. So so rehab is, you know, the acronym is renewing every hardened body. So all rehab is, is putting the strength back into a weakness, mind, body and soul. So that's a physical strength. That's a spiritual strength. That's a mental strength. And that's all rehab time is. So it's, you know, the, the truth is we're all in rehab. We're all trying to better something. We're all, you know, having injuries in our life, whether it's a bad relationship or maybe it's a failed dream and we're trying to recover from it. Or maybe it's addiction. And we're trying to recover and become better. So the messages that I put out are holistically for people to get better. Okay. And when you had started that, what did that look like aside from just like trying to put these messages into the world? Yeah. So the first thing it looked like was it all start like, so you hear me say it all starts with you. So that was my phrase. It still is my phrase. So it first looked like me working on myself and it was me going on back then. I don't know if you remember, it was like Ustream was like the, the live streaming service. So I would go on Ustream and I would stream my workouts and people would come in. You know, the little audience I have from sports, they would come in and they would ask me questions. And Twitter was a big avenue for me at that time in 2009. And so people would come and ask me questions. And then I was just wanting to show my workout. But people would ask me questions about life. And that turned into me, you know, doing a, you know, YouTube, you know, because uh, I didn't have time to always go live. And then that turned into me creating shirts. So as I as I started to realize, like, this was an actual thing, you know, I started to I created shirts, my merch. And the shirt was see my heart, not my past. And I tell people today, like, I was trapping the shirts out of my trunk, like literally like going from place to place. And I started doing events. And so I would call them live conversations. And live conversations was me going to cities like New York and, you know, going to a small venue, asking somebody, hey, do you have an apartment complex like Clubhouse? Do you know a library I could use? Uh, you know, do you have anywhere I could speak in a city, I would do it. And I would use the money from t-shirts to be able to cover my expenses and like literally putting the groundwork of spreading rehab time for about two to three years. That's what rehab time started to look like. And I would have conference calls also um, when it wasn't popular to do so. I don't know if it's popular now, but I would literally bring speakers in or even myself and have these conference calls. I remember 10 people would be on the call. I remember it got to 30. We're like, man, we got 30 people. This is crazy. Then it got to hundred. Then it got to a place where comp free conference calling, it couldn't hold like the people no more. It was like a thousand. So that's what it looked like. Like literally from the mud, rock bottom of like really grinding it out. You said that you are an introvert and then you went up and you did this five minute public speaking gig for someone who also identifies as an, as an introvert. What would you tell them if they're like, how the hell would you even do that? Like what suggestions would you even give them to show up in that kind of way? Yeah. So think about being an introvert. It doesn't mean that you're shy. 
right? I think sometimes people get that confused. Um, I think with me being an introvert, I just make my words count. I'm a listener. I think one of the greatest gifts is to listen. You you can learn a lot about people. Um, you can learn a lot about an environment. And my grandmother always told me, like, make sure your words count when you speak. So um, that's the thing about me being an introvert. But I tell people, like, to be able to get through a fear of public speaking or any type of fear, when the mission is strong enough, when the mission is great enough, the fear will never be strong enough. So if you think about this in your life, there's probably a lot of fearful moments that you went through, right? But you did it anyway because there was something on the other side that was great enough for the, for you to pull through. And I, I use the example of like, I could be outside right now and I could see a, I live in a country, so it can be like some coyotes or some run outside, right? And I'm not, you know, I'm pretty, I'm gonna say I'm pretty scared of coyotes. I might just go out there with some coyotes and just chill with them. But if my daughter is outside, right, playing, I don't care about those coyotes. I'm going to go out there and go get my daughter because what's on the other side is bigger than the fear. And so that's what I tell people, you know, when the mission is great enough, you'll walk through any fear every single day. Taking a break from today's episode to talk to you about blue blocks. Like many of you, this past year, I have been working what feels like harder than ever before. Once the pandemic hit, I was staring at my computer screen well into the night. And over time, I started to experience regular headaches and the effects of digital eye strain. Now, this can be extremely uncomfortable, and that is where Blue Blocks comes into the mix. Blue Blocks was created to fix this problem and block out the blue light with high quality lenses. Unlike other types of blue light glasses, Blue Blocks are evidence backed and made under optimal laboratory conditions in Australia. Blue Blocks makes high quality lenses for daytime, nighttime, and color therapy in line with the suggested pure reviewed academic literature. You guys know this. I only bring you information on products that are in my regular rotation. I am wearing Blue Blocks glasses every single day. I've got at least three pairs in my apartment. Whether you need prescription, non-prescription, or readers, they have got whatever you are after. Head on over to blueblocks.com slash hurdle and get 15% off using the code hurdle at checkout. Again, that is blueblocks.com slash hurdle, B-L-U-B-L-O-X dot com slash hurdle and get 15% off using the code hurdle at checkout. Also want to give some love to my friends at Athletic Greens. You know, when you reach for a green juice and it tastes like you're drinking grass. Yeah. Athletic Greens is not that at all. With 75 whole food sourced ingredients and the antioxidant equivalent of 12 servings of fruits and vegetables, Athletic Greens is a sweet sip that makes getting in your regular greens absolutely delicious. It's also got prebiotics, probiotics, adaptogens, and superfoods. So much goodness to help me start every day off in the right direction. They are offering a special deal to Hurdle listeners. It's a year's supply of vitamin D as well as five free travel packs with your first purchase. Just head on over to athleticgreens.com hurdle to get yours today. No code necessary. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash hurdle to get yours today. Trust me, this all-in-one daily nutritional supplement will change your life. 
so when you make the decision not to go to New Orleans, what happens from there for you? Yeah, so <laughs> so I make some phone calls and, um, you know, because I'm trying to get validation. It's so funny. We try to get validation from like proximity, meaning that usually when something is like we have a dream or a vision and, and hopefully you can go to the people close to you, by the way. Like, I don't want to make that a negative thing. But oftentimes we go to our proximity, like the people closest to us, we bring this vision. And oftentimes that's the wrong place to go. <laughs> and so I call my friends and they don't get it. They like, bro, you tripping. And there was a lot of value for them in me still playing football because at that time, like I had an entertainment company and all this stuff. So we were going out, like the lifestyle was there. So like, if I stop that, then a lot of this cut off. And so they're like, you're tripping. And I called my parents and I called my mom, actually. I was hoping my dad picked up the phone, but my mom did. And I told my mom like that night, I was like, hey, mom, I'm through. Like, I don't want to, I'm not playing no more. I'm sorry to disappoint you. And it got quiet. Like you ever, like you're talking to somebody, you like look down, make sure the phone is still like on. And so it got super quiet. And, um, you know, she just asked me like, are you sure you want to do that? And I just told her like what I felt. I was like, mom, I've never felt so much confidence in the midst of fear. Like, I just, I can't explain. I know this is it. Like, I just know. And she's like, you know what? Go do it. And that's when I made the decision to like, like a real decision, a decision that, that, that cuts off the rope bridge that you're not going back. And I just made that decision. And, you know, I started making videos and I would say like probably a year later, less than a year, the video started to go viral and it changed my life forever. I think something to touch on here that's really important is you were so worried about just being Trent Shelton and not being Trent Shelton, the football player. And I think that's a that's just something that a lot of people can seriously relate to, especially like if you're a runner and you get injured and you can't run like, okay, what am I doing here? If you're, you know, so many people in the pandemic, like commuting to work and identifying so like strongly with their occupation and what they were doing and that shifted and maybe they lost their job. And I think that's just, you know, a really difficult thing for people to do is disassociate who they are and what their values are from the thing that they do. Was that hard for you at first? Absolutely. You know, um, especially with athletes, our, our worth is tied to our performance. Our identity is tied to a sport. And, um, you know, something I teach my son and teach the kids now that I had to learn, you know, sports is what you do. It's not who you are. You know, your worth should never be tied to something external. And that's everybody. Like even now, I don't it's hard, but I don't tie my worth to social media. I don't tie my worth to, you know, rehab time like at all. I tie my worth to who I was created to be internally. And so um, I think it's tough, but you have to do that because if you don't, when you lose that, you will lose yourself. Like, no, hands down, you will lose yourself. So um, I would tell everybody listening right now, it's just like, who are you without it? Like, strip the way of everything. Who are you at your core? And, you know, pay attention to that and really do that internal work. Yeah. And I think that's hard because for some people to like do that work, they hear that phrase, they're like, okay, I've got to do the work. But then they like yeah. sit down, they're like, where the hell am I supposed to start? Like, what, what work? Do I need a notebook? Do I need, like, should I watch a specific video that's going to tell me how to do the work? Like, I'm sure people are asking you all the time, like, what does that yeah. even mean? Absolutely. So I, it, I think it's asking yourself a set of questions, right? And the first question that I feel like is, again, who am I, like, without nothing, like, without anything external? Who are you? And this is kind of weird, but I always picture myself like if nobody existed in this world, like nobody, like who would I be? Right? If nobody was there to validate me, nobody was there to no likes on so like who would I be? 
And so you have to have that conversation with yourself. And that's not a one day conversation, by the way. Um, I'm still having that conversation, by the way. I think it's a journey. And then two is like, like what truly matters to you? You know, I, I, I don't know if like we spend enough time as human beings, like really understanding like what truly matters and what's going to matter you know, at the end of the day. And, you know, like situations like my mom is going through and then, you know, my college roommate, one of my best friends committed suicide. Like it, it makes me think I lose my grandparents. Right. It makes me think like what life is truly about. And I think you got to have those conversations with yourself and get clarity on, you know, what is truly going to matter and what truly matters to you. And I think that's where success is, because success to me is fulfillment. It's it's not a status. It's not money. It's not, you know, followers. It's not it's cloud. It's not none of that. It's literally for me, it's fulfillment. Like what truly fulfills me? And I think when you get clear on that, I think life becomes a little bit easier. For sure. For sure. I mean, you've touched on so many different hurdle moments already from leaving the NFL and, and picking yourself up and pivoting careers to, you just mentioned the the loss of your good friend in these really hard times. What is it that you go to, to pick yourself back up off the ground? Yeah. So it's for me, I mean, for one, it's my faith. Um, you know, my faith is everything to me. Uh, you know, that's one thing. And I know a lot of people can relate to that. Uh, but also it's, it's just the mission. Like even now, like, you know, I'll just be transparent. Like I'm, I, I'm probably, or was like probably December, November, January, like the hardest time of my life. Like I was depressed, like and people didn't, and it's hard because, you know, you have to be something for the world, right. Still while you're going through it yourself. But for me, I'm not afraid to turn off, right? I'm not afraid to disconnect. I talk about it often, disconnect from the world. And so I had to do that because, you know, with my mom's situation, it's been tough. I gained probably 25, 30 pounds. I stepped on the scale the other day. I was like, dang, you know, and I was like, man, and I don't judge myself for that, but I know, okay, cool. It's time to snap back into it. But what pulled me through, like the tugboat that pulled me through was mission, was was, was the mission that I set out to do and remembering why I started. Remembering the, the, I only like to use the word promise because that's with words, but the commitment that I made to my friend that killed herself, the commitment that I made to my mother, the commitment that I made to my community. You know what I'm saying? And it's okay to go through these moments. Like, I want to be clear about that because you hear people talk about, you know, be strong. Uh, and you think that that means like, okay, I can't go through moments or I, I can't go through times where it hurts. No, it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. And so I gave myself the permission to go through what I was going through. And what helped me also, I know this is probably like I added on to the question, but what helped me was learn how to live, live in appreciation and not regret. Because I think when you're in regret, it's like poison to your soul. And you're, you're basically trying to do something about something you can't do nothing about. And so I switched it to appreciation, to find appreciation in my struggle, a gratitude in my struggle. And that helped me to be able to focus on my mission and pull myself through. We referenced the 15 million social reach for you. Has there been a time before we keep going into your backstory where you have struggled with dealing with the approval of others? I can't even imagine, you know, as that 10 becomes a hundred, becomes a thousand, becomes a hundred thousand, becomes millions. It's like, does that ever become kind of a dangerous cycle or has that for you? It was at a point because again, I'm introverted. Like, you know, the significance piece doesn't like for me, and maybe it's because I went through sports, like almost like Biggie said, more money, more problems. I always say more followers, more problems. Right. And it's just like because it's a lot and I don't like attention. Like I'm the guy like Super Bowl 
like we had nobody at the house, you know, not because I'm antisocial. I'm just like, I just like protecting my peace. And so, yeah, that's been tough for me because, you know, I'm not an A-list celebrity, but, you know, people know who I am. And it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of hard. But I say all that to say, so I made a spoken word. Um, it's called Pick Me Apart. And I made it like in 2014, 15. And that was the time where I was kind of going through like, dang, like approval, like people like Trent, you're not Christian enough. You're too Christian. You talk about this. You talk about like people are just picking me apart, right? With my messages. And I just came to a point where I was like, the first step to being unhappy is trying to please everyone else. So I made a decision to say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to live my life pleasing people. You know, I'm going to live my life doing what I feel is right in my heart to do. And whether you approve it or not, whether you agree with it or not, that's not my concern. I know that I'm not putting out anything negative or disrespectful, but I refuse to lose myself to please a following. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, and I've told my following this, like at the end of the day, I know that when I'm at my rock bottom, some of y'all might be there. Like, I understand that, but I'm going to be dealing with it. And so I don't want to sit and lose myself for any type of approval of the world. And so, and and I'm going to be honest with you, like that probably, I could probably be 10 times more successful than what I am right now in the world's eyes. Right. But I often mm-hmm. think that, yeah, I might be more successful in the world's eyes, but I wouldn't have more peace in my life. And so I'm willing to disconnect and say no uh, a lot. I think also like coming back to your foundation and your values. And again, knowing what you said, which is like, you know, that you have no ill intention and to firmly understand and believe that is so important into just like going on and continuing to do good. I remember like back in the pandemic when, you know, so many people are just like looking for help and they look to you and they want you to be like their guru, right? Like they want you to serve every bucket for them. And I felt this way as well with a like minuscule, like drop in the bucket of a following compared to yours. But it was just like, I had to say one day, listen, like you have a doctor, a physical therapist, a therapist, like a massage person, like someone that comes and cleans your house. If you have this whole group of people that you work with regularly, I will never be every single one of those people for you ever. And once I like said that out loud and was like, wow, like I need to take some of this pressure off myself because it's, we put this pressure here because we want to help, you know, like you want to help people, but you have to understand that like, you can't be everything for someone. You can just do the best you can with what you have to like help in whatever way feels right for you. Yeah, it doesn't make you a bad person for doing what's good for you. You know, it doesn't make you a bad person to say no. And you're exactly right. Like, I think taking that firm stance is it's what's needed a lot. And setting firm boundaries to say, like, that's the thing I tell people all the time. I'm not, I'm, when people say, Trent, you changed my life. I'm not a life changer. I'm not. I don't want the credit. You know, um, I'm a seed planner because I might not be there for you when you need me. You know, you might hit my inbox and I might not see it. And so you need to be able to develop tools yourself. I'm trying to teach you how to catch your fish, right? I, I'm not going to keep showing you. Like, I want to give you, I, I don't want to enable you. I want to, I want you to be able to, like, I had a person tell me this and it was the biggest compliment. And I think they, they thought they offended me. They said, Trent, like, I feel like I, I've outgrew your content. And I was like, awesome. Great. Like, it means that you've actually like progressed through it. Like, I don't want you watching the same videos 30 times. You know, <laughs> I want you to be able to say, okay, I learned it. I applied it. I changed my situation. So, I'm in it for people to grow, not to just, you know, stay, stay the same. The question is, though, were they kind when they told you that they agree your content? Or were they looking for more from you? 
No, nah, they were kind. They they actually didn't want to say it, but <laughs> they still digested the content. And I was like, no, nah, that's good. So I don't know if they wanted, I don't know, maybe they did want a different response, but I was like, that's great. <laughs> like, cool. <laughs> you, uh, you establish rehab time. You're getting into this groove. You're like hosting these like conference calls with thousands of people. When do you start to get a really serious understanding of like kind of the trajectory that you're on? Yeah. So, man. It's, that's a tough question. So I think there were different pockets where I realized like, okay, this is, this is like crazy. So one was like people hitting me up that I know that was like, yeah, my cousin just shared you. I'm like, that's Trent. Like I, like, and it was like, my cousin just shared you in Utah or something like that. So when I started getting people like that, they knew me was saying like people that, you know, they were close to her, they knew was sharing my content. So that was one. And then also the other two things was, you know, me first going out the country was like real for me because for one, it made me realize like how small minded my vision was. And, you know, we often project like our goals based upon our current circumstances and we limit ourselves. And so that taught me that I was like, man, there's a way bigger world than my world that I'm currently living in. So when I went to Sweden, that was my first time out the country was Sweden at all places. I was like, I'm in Sweden. This is crazy. Like speaking on stages. And I remember me being in my room. And another thing would probably be people putting me in the same phrases of people I looked up to. Like I, like the first one was probably like, I, it was a list and uh, it was like top 50. It was something like I, we can probably Google it or something. I, I forgot the title, but it was like <laughs> Oprah on there. It was like all these people and, I, and my name was, I'm like, what? This is crazy. And you know, it was like, so those were the moments where I started to realize like, okay, this is really making an impact. I love that. I love that. Okay. So you also, before we're talking about like protecting your peace and also probably a byproduct of that, protecting your worth. Talk to me about where you sit on the importance of protecting your worth. And do you have any suggestions or tips that you can offer to someone who is just feeling like, I just don't know what I have to offer and having trouble standing on their own two feet? Absolutely. So Man, I can break this down for an hour. So like, so I love talking about words. It's actually going to be my next book. And this is the first time I've said it. So it's coming. I don't know when it's coming, but my next book will be over worth. I don't know what I'm going to call it, but it's going to be over worth. And I break down worth in two things, right? Worth is the acceptance of self and it's the confidence of self. So if you had like two pillars, it would be those two things. Um, I betted a lot of people and it came down to those two things. Like they didn't accept themselves, whether it be their past or their flaws, or they weren't confident in who they are. And so I spent a whole bunch of time breaking that down, but I want to share that because the more confident you are in yourself and confidence comes from proving yourself right, right? Doing certain things, going out and, you know, having a vision of a podcast and actually doing it and you keep proving yourself right or proving yourself wrong, whatever mindset you're in, um, that builds confidence and acceptance is you saying, you know what, this is who I am. I'm not going to allow opinions in the world to, to change who I am, right? And that's when you really start to know your worth and you know yourself. Um, a practical thing that I do is, and I've said this before, and people kind of look at me weird when I say it, but understanding for one, setting boundaries and your principles, right? The things that you stand on no matter what, like that's very important because like you said, you can have people into your life. And this is what, and, and I'm not trying to tell people to build a, brick, a wall because, you know, if, if you keep people out, you'll also keep people from getting in. But it's like, always think about this, man. You can allow one person in your life and they can ruin your life. Cause I've seen it plenty of times from just different people's stories. Like, man, you let this person in. So I was like, you got to have principles that you stand on that your feelings don't make you switch on your principles. I always say facts over feelings. Feelings are real, but feelings aren't always right. And so um, the quote that I say, 
And people kind of look at me funny. I said, I'm not loyal to people. I'm loyal to my principles because the people that deserve my loyalty will respect my principles. And so my principles make my decisions. So whatever principle you have that's for love, whatever, whatever you have, that's what you stand on. So if nobody's, if the person's not giving you that, then you got to say principles say, nah, this ain't for my life. Or if it's for your business and you know your work, right? The principles say, you know what? I deserve this. You stand on that. And you say, you know what? They make the decisions. So I always say it's easy for me to make decisions, easy for me to cut people out my life, if that's a proper word to say, when my principles make those decisions for me. So I think people should just get very clear on the principles and values that they have in their life and just realize, like, don't allow feelings to make you sway from those values and principles. I also think like something to touch on here uh, that feels kind of right is this idea of making choices or uh, doing things just to make other people happy because you're like, well, if my people are happy, then I'm going to be happy. Other people's happiness should not equal your misery. Like, like straight up, like if you're, if you're living life to please people, then you will be empty at some point. You know, I always say like, and and it's not selfish. Like the world will make you think that like, manipulative people will make you think that it's selfish for you taking care of you. I tell people all the time, like I I take care of me because I want to be the best me for those that need me to be. So if me taking care of me says, I don't want to be around this environment anymore. I don't care how you feel about it because I know who I need to be for my environment in my world. And so uh, I would rather be viewed as cold hearted than live broken hearted. So if people say, Trent, you're cold hearted. And I know I'm not cold hearted person. Like I get people multiple chances and things, but I'd rather be viewed as that because that's what people go to when you say no, right? When you say no, they'll mm. talk about you. They'll make you feel like you're the bad person. They'll tell the people about you and say, oh, you know, Trent's changed or he's done this or he's done that. When all I've done was what they would do if they were in my shoes. And so I tell people, I'd rather be viewed as cold hearted than live broken hearted. I refuse to get to the end of my life and realize that I've settled for less my whole entire life to make other people happy that could care less about me anyway. Popping into today's episode to give some love to my friends at Gooder. Gooder makes no bounce, no scratch, polarized sunglasses that start at just $25. They make a ton of really adorable styles. I am big on their blackout mock G's, which are perfect for both picking up the pace of the track or just wearing to brunch. But they have shapes and styles for every taste. They come with a one-year warranty, 30-day free returns, and are 100% carbon neutral. You have got to get in on the Gooder game today. Head on over to gooder.com slash hurdle and use the code hurdle at checkout for $10 off your purchase today. I already told you starting at just $25, this is a no brainer. Again, that is gooder.com, G-O-O-D-R.com slash hurdle. Use hurdle at checkout for $10 off your purchase today. that's really hard because sometimes it feels like you're kind of stuck in a certain situation where either it's like maybe a little bit emotionally abusive, whether it's a friend or a partnership, but you feel like you're stuck in this situation because I, it could be all, you know, or it's familiar and getting out of that and like doing the things that make you happy and give back to your soul can literally feel completely impossible because you don't know what to do. Yeah. I mean, we're so afraid of the unknown. 
You know, we would rather stay in a familiar pain than move to an unknown peace. You know, I had somebody tell me years ago that they would rather accept a little than nothing at all. And so for me, I would rather have nothing at all than a little. If you're only going to give me a little bit of loyalty, a little bit of whatever, I'd rather have none of it at all because I, re- I just refuse to settle. Like That's one of my principles, never settle. It's one of my messages. I just refuse to settle because I know that settling leads to suffering. It's going to happen at some point in your life, in all aspects of your life. You have to be able to willing to take that journey. And this is the thing. You know, when people hit me up and say, Trent, it's hard. I was like, it is hard, but choose your heart. You know, staying, staying in the pain, whatever that pain is for you for the rest of your life, that's hard. That's, going, that's a heart that doesn't change. So I would rather remove myself, move on from a situation that's going to be tough. It's not going to be easy because you're leaving something that's familiar or, you know, even if it's letting go of a sport, you know, fo- letting go of football was tough. So I'm trying to find myself in the journey. But I knew that at least, at least the unknown, like I know what it is to be over here and stay with this and hold on to this. So why not go on this journey? The worst that can happen is, you know, what I think is going to happen doesn't happen. And I would rather take that chance to stand into something that I know for sure is going to hurt my life. And so I would rather always move into the unknown than stand in no pain. We're talking about journeys here. Talk to me about your journey as a dad. <laughs> uh, it started 12 years ago. And it was a surprise when it started 12 years ago. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't planned. And, um, you know, Tristan, that's my 12-year-old son. You know, he he changed my life. Like, I tell people all the time, you know, he he made, he made changed my life as a man. Like, he made me want to be a better human being, knowing that I have somebody that's going to follow my footsteps. Like, knowing that I'm a leader now. And if people out there that don't have kids, you're a leader regardless. You know, somebody somewhere at some time is watching what you do. You're influencing someone. And so I was now a conscious leader. So he made me want to, like, get right, you know, um, just with – the values that I lived and, and the and the and the role that I knew I was going to leave for him legacy, and then you know uh, fast forward to 2016, uh, you know I have a daughter Maya, and now I have Marley that was born in 2019, and my girls you know they changed my life too. You know they made me more. You know I grew up around all boys. You know so they made me a lot more sensitive, a lot more just loving and caring, and it's just a different vibe. And you know I always say for me success is this, this house, you know, I don't want to be the guy that's praised to the world, but I walk in here and my kids can't stand me. Or I don't want to be the guy that, you know, is pleasing the world, but not spending time with my world. And so, um, I make a lot of sacrifice because their opinion matters to me, you know, not the world, not the followers, their opinion matters to me first, you know, my household. And I think, you know, we got to get back to that foundation to be able to, you know, cultivate better families so we can have better communities so we can, you know, have better worlds. So I think it starts in the house. I think also like over the past year with so many more people being able to spend a little bit more time at home and look at how I spun that as a positive instead of a negative, yeah. <laughs> uh, they have had the chance to kind of go back to those foundations. What has been a big lesson for you over the past year? Because I'm sure without a doubt, you're traveling much, much less than you used to. Yeah. Oh, man. You know, out, outside of like being home or like the traveling piece, you know, I can't even talk about that. Like, I just appreciate I'm not saying I don't want to travel. Some of people see this like Trent's not traveling, but it just feels good to be able to do this, connect. Right. And then be able to like be with my family right after this. And so it just made me realize just the importance of time. like. We've heard this quote a million times, you know, kids spell love, T-I-M-E. 
And it's so true to be able there to be able to sit there and listen, because as parents, we always think that we're teaching the kid. But if you sit there and listen, the kids will teach you. You know, they will teach you how to be a better mom, a better father, a better human being just by watching them interact. Like when my daughter's friend comes over here, it's so it's so cute and funny because they'll be angry at each other. Like because they, you know, somebody wants to play with this and somebody wants to play with that. Then literally two minutes later, they'll be friends again. And it's like they forgave each other just like that. They <laughs> moved on to a bigger purpose. And so I just learned so much by just watching them. You know, Marley, even her, you know, she's like 16 months. And, you know, just seeing her, you know, try something and fail at it. Then she gets back up and tries it again and gets back up and tries it again. She's determined. You know, you can learn a lot from just kids and just their determination, how they love and how they show up. So that's one of the bigger things that I've learned is like being able to be super present because with Tristan, you know, I was still playing football, so I wasn't there for him like as an infant, like I would have liked to be. And then Maya, you know, I was traveling a lot. You know, I was there, but not as much as I would like to be. And now with Marley, you know, I'm here, you know, all the time. And so it's just a beautiful experience. You mentioned the word forgiveness, and I think that's something that we should wrap about for just a second here, uh, because I think that's also a huge thing that people struggle with, whether uh, someone may have wronged them uh, intentionally or unintentionally. Sometimes it's just hard to accept the facts and move forward and actually forgive. So for someone that's struggling with that, what kind of advice do you have for them? Absolutely. So there's three things like, when it comes to forgiveness, at least two ma major ones. Like, So one, you have to understand, I know people have heard this before, but it's true. Forgiveness is for you, not for another person. And the thing that helps me forgive is like this simple statement, especially when somebody has really hurt you um, and did something wrong to you. I'm like, I want to forgive because I refuse to give them the power to control the rest of my life. Like if they hurt my past so bad, I refuse to give them the power to control my future. And if you don't forgive, that's what they're doing. You know, how many of us, and I've been here before, where I became the pain that someone else gave me because I didn't forgive them. You know, a perfect example, you know, I had a situation, I'm not going to get into any names, I had a situation where, you know, a business situation, that didn't go right, you know, just to be honest. And it wasn't good. And, you know, some money, like business stuff, like wasn't, the money that was owed to me wasn't given to me. And it made me very, very like sour because I'm already protective. And I'm like, man, like, I can't believe I trusted this person to be able to do this. I'm just trying to be a good person. And so what it did was like, it made me like block off everybody. Like I'm not working with nobody. Nope. Opportunities come in. I'm shutting it down. Nope. I don't work with nobody. And what I was doing, which we do so often when we don't forgive, is I was making people pay for mistakes they didn't make. Right. And mm. we do that so much. Like they don't deserve that. And I started to realize like, dang. Like I'm allowing this person to control my life, even even though they're not a part of my life, they're still controlling so much of it. So I had to forgive that person. So kind of to, to, to wrap this up, one is understand forgiveness is for you. Two is understanding will help you forgive. What I mean by that is putting yourself in their shoes for a moment. You know, maybe they didn't have the, the structure that you had growing up. Maybe they were in a tough situation and it doesn't make their behavior right. But it helps you understand when you understand more it helps you be able to give the forgiveness that you need. And last but not least is just realizing that if you don't forgive, that situation is going to control you the rest of your life. It's going to turn you into a person that you don't need to become. And so forgive, man. You don't want to be in a prison without being behind bars. 
so true. I also think like on that note of like you start to realize that you're treating people a way that like they don't deserve and they had nothing to do with the thing that was causing you pain. It really just makes me think about sitting at my desk like every single day and the people are like popping into my inbox, taking out their problems on me when I did not cause them. <laughs> no. <laughs> Talk to me then. I mean, now you are well into your career doing public speaking, writing and so much more. When you reflect on, uh, give or take, you know, the last eight, 10 years, what would you say has been one of the best pieces of advice you have been offered? Because I know you yourself are so used to being the one giving it. Man, I'm going to go with the one that first popped into my heart. So I have a friend, um, his name is Dean Graziosi. He's well known in the marketing world. And uh, we became close. Like he's he's older than me. I think Dean's like 50, 52. And uh, just has a lot of knowledge and different things. And I remember him telling me something that really stuck with me. He was like, you want to stay in your unique ability. And I was like, what do you mean by that? He was like, man, you're doing so many things. Like, he's like, I know you want to do it all by yourself, but you're doing so many things. Like, just imagine if you were able to, to really like build your brand to where, you know, you don't have to do everything and you can actually focus on the thing that you love to do. And so I made that my mission to like really be able to build a brand where I can stay in my unique ability so I can be able to give, you know, my gift to the world without being drained. And so I, I know that's might not be for everybody, but I think if people can understand that, like when you can stay inside your gift and not worry about everything else. And I know it's a process, you know, you can't just do that out the gate. That's always been my goal to be like, what can I take away and delegate so I can stay into serving mode and just give it mode? What excites you right now, aside from the fact that you're home a little bit more often with your family? Well, what I'm currently building, and so I'm building, it's called Rare Breed Academy, and uh, it's so much, like it's a whole academy, so much more than just online content. We've actually started Rare Breed Youth Academy, where it's actually sports performance. So, like, I'm geeked out about that, because I never have got the chance to really put my hands on athletes. I mean, I've done it here and there, but never really focused on it. So, like, I'm super excited about being able to, like, give kids... When I say kids, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 year old, or even eight years old, the actual tools not to just thrive in sports, but actually to thrive in life. And so I'm excited about that right now. When someone goes to your personal Instagram page, they see a guy with a hell of a lot of followers talking to the camera a lot, inspiring so many. When you look in the mirror, what is it that you see looking back at you? Man, just a guy that wants to help lives as he helps himself. A guy that doesn't have it all figured out, a guy that has so many questions about life, um, a guy that's on the journey to find the greatest version of himself. And that's what I live life doing and hopefully leave a legacy that other people can benefit from and learn from, you know, from the perfections, the imperfections, the rise, the falls, all of that. So I just see a guy that's transparent and wants to make the world respect his greatness. If I was just to give you the floor for like 30 to 60 seconds here to share something that you haven't shared just yet with the hurdlers, as I love to call them, what is it that you think is important to, uh, to leave them with as we close this out here? Yeah. Um, so I would tell them that, you know, your perspective is everything. Your perspective can either be one or two things, your power, or your prison. And perspective is everything in life. You know, how you see life. Perspective is the window of how you see the world. And I like to think of perspective as two sets of glasses. And every time an experience happens, you have the choice to pick up whatever set you want to pick up. You know, something bad happens, you have a choice. Something great happens, you have a choice. 
But oftentimes when something bad happens, we pick up the prison perspective lenses and we start to see everything is working against us. Everything is being unfair. When we can easily pick up those power perspectives and say, you know what? This didn't go the way I wanted it to go, but maybe it's going the way that it's supposed to go for my life. You know, everything is happening for me. Everything is building me. Everything is power. So I want to tell you that um, every single experience that you go through, there's two levels of life. There's the experience that we all would experience, but the deeper level people know this, that there's the deeper level of experience, which means the meaning we give to the experience. And if you want to live a more meaningful life, develop more me better meanings in life, and you're always in control of that. So why not develop a meaning that's going to help you instead of hurt you? And honestly, that's been my secret sauce of how I've been able to push through and grow uh, through turbulent times, through bad times, and just be consistent over this last decade. Right now, you have an opportunity to offer the Trent who is fresh out of the NFL a piece of advice looking back at that hurdle moment right now. What do you tell him? I would tell myself to stop, <laughs> to stop tripping, that everything's going to be all right. And just know that there's a greater plan than your plan for your life. And just know that, you know, as long as you stay committed, disciplined, have consistency, faith and heart, your life will arrive at the destination it's supposed to arrive at. Everything has purpose. So stop trying to figure it out and just control what you can control and just accept, you know, what's coming for your life. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for your time. I'm sure a lot of your followers are already listening to us right now. But for those that want to keep up with you, give me all of your details. Yeah. So just at Trent Shelton on all social media sites. You know, I'm on Clubhouse now. You know, I know it's like the, the fresh thing. So and then uh, TrentShelton.com is my website. And that's about it. Oh, actually, yeah, you can text me. Um, so I'm very big on my text community. Like I send out inspiration every day. It's just 817. 242-2719 if you just want inspiration daily. I am over at Emily Abadi and at Hurdle Podcast. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time.